I agree. This is not jazz. Welcome to my podcast. My name is Mike Carter, and this is episode number three. If you have any comments or anything you'd like to hear in the show, or I talk too much, or I don't talk enough, or whatever, my Gmail is g as in George Carter one mwc at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you, and any kind of comments are welcome, and I will get back to you. This is an episode about jazz. The first in some programs about music styles. Now, am I a musicologist? No. Do I teach music in any sense in a formal setting? No. Do I play an instrument? Do conga drums qualify? Probably not. In fact, I don't know that much about the subject beyond what I've experienced. This will be simply some casual informal reflections about music from the view of one who places it at the top of influences in his life. That's no exaggeration. When I think of what makes me happy, almost what, what guides my abstract, th- abstract thinking, it's music. It kind of, it's a part of every part of my life. Um, let's start with a phrase that drives me crazy. <laughs> all kinds of music. Who can know about all kinds of music? Back when I haunted the misfit halls of Match.com, some profiles would include the statement, I like all kinds of music, everything from 50s classics to the 90s. That's like saying I like all kinds of fruit, everything from oranges to tangerines. No one, and I mean no one, can talk about all kinds of music. The subject borders on the infinite. In line with this humbling fact, let's make this an enjoyable walk in the park without formal structure. Before us lies the landscape of styles. Talking about styles is safe because they don't define, they just describe. My favorites, several, which is why this will be an enjoyable uh, trip for me, talking about different styles. Let's begin with my childhood environment where jazz was the only style whose visa we accepted into our home. Dad was a jazz musician, obsessive, believe me, trumpet and cornet. So jazz was the ambient sound of the house when the television wasn't on. The title of this podcast, Life as Jazz, is my way of emphasizing the qualities of this style, improvisation and spontaneity. This is how we live the better parts of our lives, don't we? The parts away from the job and the routine responsibilities our chosen paths inflict on us. What follows is a light overview of the history of jazz with lots of music examples thrown in. Know that my exposure to the form is weighted toward the 1930s through the 50s. That's uh, what my family enjoyed, so that's what I was raised with. The birth of jazz and the early stuff that I'll talk about is gleaned mostly from the internet. So the question, when did jazz begin? Well, it didn't really begin, it evolved, and mostly in the trading port of New Orleans. Let's jump back uh, to the last decades of the 1800s. A well-known example of early ethnic influences significant to the origins of jazz is the African dance and drumming tradition. Right, when we think of jazz, we naturally think of rhythm. 
On the formal side, many organizations in New Orleans used brass bands for funerals, festivals, and other events. Now, some of these community organizations also used New Orleans-style ragtime brass bands. Nationally, there was also a growing interest in syncopated musical styles influenced by African-American traditions, such as the cakewalk and minstrel tunes, uh, the kind of thing you see in old, uh, early, maybe late 1920s movies. By the 1890s, syncopated piano compositions called ragtime created a popular music sensation, and brass bands began supplementing the standard march repertoire with ragtime pieces. Ragtime is the link between written composition and marching bands. What is ragtime and what is syncopation? Okay, the word ragtime, which you've probably heard a zillion times, uh, it comes from a, a phrase called ragged rhythm, where the playing is syncopated. I'll demonstrate this by uh, voice and kind of stay with me in this, okay? A regular march goes like the rhythm part goes da 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 da. So the accent's on the first beat. I'm going to play part of a John Philip Sousa march, part of Stars and Stripes, really slowed down to demonstrate this. And then I'm going to play it again and count over the top of it. One two 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 one two. The alternative to this would be to put the accent on the second beat. So instead of going instead of going one two one two one two, it'll go one two one two one two. And the first is what you hear in a march, and the second is what happens in jazz. It occurred to me while I was uh, listening to this, playing it back, that the march isn't the only first beat culprit. Uh, the one, two, one, two, or the one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. Rock is also guilty of it. Um, I'm going to demonstrate this by playing an old favorite of mine and everybody's, I guess, um, The Sunshine of Your Love by Cream. And give a listen to this, then I'll. I'll go back over it. It's getting me dark When lights close the tired eyes I'll soon be with you, my love Give you my dose of pride I'll be with you And there's Ginger Baker, the drummer for Cream, along with uh, Eric Clapton and Jack Bruce. Um, hitting on the drums. He wanted to be a jazz drummer, believe it or not, but uh, he ended up in rock. But you can hear his first beat, uh, that bum 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 one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. It's getting me a dog When lights close the tired eyes Now Leonard Bernstein, back in the 50s, made a really, really good, fifty about a 15-minute show called What is Jazz? taking people from the very basics up through pretty complex stuff. Much better than I'll do here, but I'm having fun. And in that show, he defines syncopation as either putting an accent where you don't expect one, like one, two, one, two, or conversely, leaving out an accent where you do expect one. Now we're concerned here with putting one where you don't expect one on the second beat, the one, two, one, two, one, two. It's called the offbeat. 
And that's what jazz is all about, at least early jazz. And this is where ragtime comes in because it's a ragged rhythm. It's not something you expect, just like one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, or one, two, one, two. It's bump, 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 bump. It's kind of ragged. It's it's ragged. It's not uh, symmetrical. So that's what ragtime basically is all about. And the most famous proponent and composer of ragtime in the late 1890s and uh, early 20th century was a guy named Scott Joplin. And what you're hearing in the background right now is a piece by Scott Joplin. Um, if you remember back in the 70s, I think, it was a very popular movie with Robert Redford and Paul Newman called The Sting. And I think every piece of music in that movie was uh, from Scott Joplin. And this was sort of a theme song for the movie. It's called The Entertainer. Now I'm playing this because it's an excellent example of syncopation, uh, which formed the basis for ragged rhythm, ragtime. And I'm going to point out a section where you can really hear the syncopation, the offbeat, the da-da-da-da-da-da. Now, unsyncopated, that would have sounded something like da-da, 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 as opposed to da-da, da-da, da-da. You really have to focus on that, and it's kind of hard to hear, but that's kind of the essence of jazz. In the 40s, in old movies, I'm not that old, uh, you hear an expression called, get hot or go home. <laughs> wow. What they're talking about is, uh, is syncopation. If the music isn't syncopated, it's not hot. And they're saying it's not jazz. And they're right. Syncopation is at the heart of jazz, along with uh, jazz blues chords, which I'm not going to cover. You kind of have to hear those for yourselves. That's a very, very, very complex subject. And when I talk about it, or try to talk about it, I should say, I really do feel like a, a kazoo player auditioning for the New York Philharmonic. So I'm sticking to the simple stuff, like rhythm. We're at the 11 minute mark here, and I still haven't played much jazz, have I? But there are two small items I still have to mention. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on them. I know you're tired of syncopation. Uh, these are improvisation and, you ready? Polyphony. <laughs> Polyphony is usually uh, talked about with classical music like Bach, where they have a whole bunch of stuff going on at the same time, like a, in a fugue. Uh, the same principles used in jazz, uh, several instruments playing different themes at the same time and sounding good together. And this basically is what Dixieland jazz is all about. And it's what we are working into after Scott Joplin and the marching bands and the people joining the bands who couldn't read music. By the way, that's called playing by ear because they could listen to the music and play it uh, with their own interpretation. They couldn't, they couldn't read music, but they could play their instruments really well. So if somebody could start a tune and they could join in and not play the exact melody maybe, but play around it or with it. And now I'm gonna play a short selection by Johann Sebastian Bach, who was not 
a jazz musician, but if he were alive today, I guarantee he'd be at the top of the lift up there with Ellington and Basie and all those guys. He used polyphony because that was the style of music in the early 1700s. And what I'm going to play will demonstrate uh, several themes played at the same time that blend well together. And at the same time, you can follow each one separately. So grit your teeth and give a listen. Okay, I slowed that way down uh, so much that it sounds a little distorted, but I wanted you to be able to tell the two themes apart. There's one in the bass part of the piano and one in the uh, upper part. And they're two separate melodies, but they're played together. And they're blend, they blend together, and that's the basics of polyphony. And that's exactly, exactly what happens in Dixieland jazz. trumpet player is out in front there he's playing what is probably the main melody and then the trombone's playing something else around the main melody and the clarinet player is too and it's important to note they aren't supporting the guy in front they're playing their own themes or their own melodies around the main song they are improvising on the tune and I hope with all my yammering about uh, syncopation that you could tell that was the accent was on the second beat. Dixieland is mostly two beat and the drummer makes it perfectly clear where the accent is. By the way that was uh, Matty Matlock, uh, his group. He had great musicians in it including my dad's favorite uh, tenor player Eddie Miller. Uh, I'm gonna play something this is this is like the early early stuff of Dixieland like this is from 1917 and it's called the original Dixieland jazz band and I think this recording is the first maybe the first Dixieland recording and this was a big hit when it came out because it was like wow this is new stuff so I'm gonna play a little bit of that now this doesn't sound like Matty Matlock that you just heard but you gotta start somewhere 1917 Mammy Mine from 1917 by the original Dixieland Jazz Band. Well, it's time to say <laughs> next time, I think. We've gone through uh, the late 1800s all the way up to the beginning of Dixieland. This is just too much to put into one, one program. And I'm just hitting, I mean, this is like jazz super light. 
just the highlights, and a lot of what I've said is could be disputed by any musicologist in the world. But as I said, this is from my own experience and, and my impression of things, and it's pretty accurate as far as like what was going on at the time and how things developed. So next time we're going to start with the early 20s and go through, hopefully make it to now, or at least the late 60s. Um, in the 20s, what happened was Dixieland, of course, was the style of music that everybody loved and played and danced to. But uh, jazz was going into a four-beat framework, and individual musicians like Louis Armstrong began to stand out. And the bands took on a form that is more uh, recognizable to us today. Let's call it more accessible. Uh, they sound old-fashioned, maybe even corny, but it's a lot closer to what we do, what we've done uh, through the 60s and 70s and what we think of as, as a standard, standard jazz today. So we'll look at that next time, and I really enjoy doing this. I've learned a lot. I mean, I did a lot of research on this and uh, came up with this, as I said, this super light version of history. And um, we'll hear a lot more music next time, I promise. And it won't be uh, two beat, and it won't be Scott Joplin, and it won't be the original Dixieland Jazz Band. It'll be a lot of Benny Goodman, Artie Shaw, and Charlie Parker, and some John Coltrane. So I'll see you next time. And uh, if you have any comments again, please leave them at my email address, which again is G as in George, G Carter one MWC at gmail.com. And please, if you haven't done so, go ahead and hit the subscribe button on my, uh, my website for this, uh, lifeisjazz.com. It's up in the right-hand side on the top there. Just hit it. All you got to do is go down to email, stick in your address, and you'll have notifications when this incredible chaotic <laughs> broadcast is available to you. Okay, bye-bye. And before you ask, that beautiful music at the beginning uh, was from Lionel Hampton after he left Benny Goodman's group. It's Midnight Sun, a uh, very famous piece, and I think it's recorded in 1947. So, see you next time.